Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 12, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Mercedes was the third fastest car after Friday practice in Hungary, but rain saved the day again for Lewis Hamilton, who dominated a soaking wet Hungaro ring in qualifying to take pole before galloping off into the distance. But Ferrari had a hand in easing Mercedes' path to victory as well, keeping Vettel out for too long, or was that not long enough, to jump Valtteri Bottas in the pit stops, ending Sebastian's challenge. To analyse how Hamilton took control of the championship ahead of the mid-season break, I'm joined by Phil Tromans from podcast For Formula One's Sake. Phil, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Michael. How are you? Um, well, now that we've reached the break, I think. It's been a pretty intense last uh, two months, hasn't it? I think eight races in ten weeks or something like that. I think you can have too much Formula One. It's in danger of becoming NASCAR or IndyCar or something <laughs> like that, where they have they have to have separate pit crews and, and, and all this kind of jazz. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to not really thinking about it too much. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that going on over the next month. Uh, one thing I feel like that maybe we have learned from these last couple of races is an old idea idea though of Bernie Ecclestons which was to randomly implement rain at certain times during a Grand Prix weekend because I mean for the first time I think for the whole year we've had these two weekends with rain obviously we had it in Germany uh, during the race and that certainly decided the result there but qualifying in Hungary was very much properly wet and in many respects we might not even have to talk about the Grand Prix itself all that much because this is where the race was kind of decided for Mercedes and Hamilton that didn't really have the fastest car. It, it was indeed and I'm, I'm beginning to worry that, that much as we maligned uh, Bernie in his later years that he might might turn out that a lot of his <laughs> ideas that we thought were wacky were absolutely correct because um, it does seem if you add water you get a lot more excitement. Yeah exactly and it's, it's, it's interesting because for the first time in years we've had this opportunity or Ferrari have had this opportunity I suppose or anybody other than Mercedes we could say to have the fastest car and yet the, the terrific irony seems to be that now that Ferrari can actually really confidently say that that they've done the best job they can't win a race they've lost two in a row. Well there's well the difference between creating a, a, a nice fast car and having a nice fast driver and then actually putting it all together and, and, and making you know a, a, a race winning weekend uh, which actually I assume is the, largely the point of your podcast. <laughs> yeah it, it is, it's more or less in the title uh, and I suppose a second major theme that's emerged in these last two races and certainly in this race as we'll talk about momentarily is I suppose the spectre of team orders if we can be so blunt in a way that Ferrari mechanics couldn't be over the last two weeks uh, and we saw that very much in this race with Valtteri Bottas and Kimi Raikkonen it's funny though we kind of just expect it with Raikkonen don't we so it wasn't so much of a talking point but Bottas's response afterwards certainly was no he was he was considerably bristling wasn't he mm. um, when 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 it was put to him that, that he was the wingman in this although having watched the race that certainly seemed like the the role he'd he'd ended up with whether that was uh, by by design from the outset or just because he was second into the first corner and therefore sort of defaulted to that position but um yeah, it'd be interesting to... Uh, he he, did, he looked a bit narked, didn't he? Mm, yeah, I've never seen Bottas show almost any emotion, but this was the first time, so there's a first for everything, I suppose. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to play over the summer, whether sort of Toto will move to try and calm the fires, or if it's going to fester for four weeks and he's going to come back some sort of finished ball of rage <laughs> in, the, uh, in the second half of the season. Maybe that's just the way to activate Valtteri Bottas, get him enraged about something, and then maybe, who knows, maybe he'll become a race winner in the second half of the season. But it's sort of like, and this is a question that really struck 
struck me during this weekend as well with Red Bull Racing, which wasn't really anywhere at any point this weekend, despite this supposedly being a Red Bull track, is that we've got Red Bull. We've also, in this situation, got Bottas and Kimi Raikkonen, who are now so far behind in the points after this race and after, really, the whole first half of the season. It's been a trend that we can't really consider anyone beyond, obviously, Mercedes and Ferrari, but then Vettel and Hamilton in the fight for the championship, surely, going into the break. I mean, I've learned over the years of following Formula One that you never make bold predictions because <laughs> you never can tell what's going to happen. Um, but if you don't make the bold predictions, exactly what you expect will happen. Um, it does look like they haven't quite got, A, the reliability, and, and B, I mean, this weekend seemed to be mainly tyres, at least to start with, in the, in the, in the wet, that they couldn't just couldn't get working. Um, it does seem like they're probably out of the running now. <laughs> Having said that, Ricardo's only, what, uh, 15 or so points behind Bottas? Although you could argue, yes, Bottas is out of it as well. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, you've got to be bolder. <laughs> gonna, you've got to be bolder. I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to sit firmly on the fence. Uh, splinters be damned. <laughs> well, considering how long the season is, I suppose we are only really just past I halfway. I mean, this is it. I mean, it seems like this season has been going on forever already, and yet we have the same amount again pretty much still to go. So... <laughs> Uh, who knows which way it's going to go? I actually genuinely hope it sort of, you know, it flips and flops a little bit between Hamilton and Vettel, and then maybe we get, you know, some sort of five-way, uh, five-way shootout in the last race of the season. Certainly would make it exciting. I mean, that seems to be the the theme of this season. Really, has been that even if the races themselves are not especially competitive, we have had more or less one race apiece where Ferraris had an advantage, and and then Mercedes and had has had an advantage. But now we're at the the biggest championship gap, twenty four points, and it all came down to Lewis Hamilton. Well, it came down to qualifying, as we said. But Ferrari, with the fastest car, felt like they had this opportunity where maybe they could use that to to pry Mercedes' front row lockout open and, and try and steal at least one position, which they did, but maybe not in the way they expected. And it sort of came down to, well, a couple of things. Really, this race was one fought by the teammates. We talk about Bottas and Raikkonen maybe not being in championship contention. Their team certainly felt like that, at least in this race in particular, because it was Raikkonen pitting really early, pitting on lap 14 in an attempt to to tempt Bottas and Mercedes to doing the same, essentially using them as cannon fodder. Uh, and this ambitious one-stop strategy that Bottas ended up on was a result of this. So really, Bottas's race was compromised uh, by taking that Ferrari bait. Exactly, and, I, and that, that's what makes me think, I don't, I don't know how he can object to the term wingman, because he was basically you know, playing, playing rear gunner um, to try and keep the uh, the Ferraris at bay and and yeah the, the Raikkonen pitted early to tempt them uh, which which worked uh, and Bottas pitted as well and you could suggest that that the that the tactic would have worked and that um, Vettel would have been able to to get to get into the window to to get past uh, Bottas and then sort of chase down Hamilton but um, unfortunately as has happened several times this season, that, that what, what was good in theory didn't work in practice. Yeah, and we saw in the tyre compounds this race were the medium, the soft, and the ultra soft. And the other thing we tend to see so far this year is we get through Friday practice and, oh, the softest tyre is no good. It's only going to last a couple of laps and Mercedes can't handle it and the rears are blistering and what a disaster this weekend's going to be. And then we get to, to Sunday and Lewis Hamilton's easily executing 25 laps on the ultra soft and everything seem, 
seems very straightforward. It's almost like Friday practice is not really worthwhile. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if maybe the rain sort of changed changed the, the, the surface of the track somehow and, and the, the ultrasoft suddenly lasted a lot longer than everybody expected them to. Mm. So yeah, I guess that kind of threw a spanner into um, into Ferrari's uh, works, but they didn't they didn't help themselves either with with probably leaving Fettel out too late on the on the softs, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously got stuck in traffic as well, and then they messed up the pit stop as well, and all of those seemed to to uh, to to come together to to ruin their plans. Yeah, because we had this great tension from the start of the race because the qualifying was wet. It meant the top ten drivers were able to start on different tires. There was no tire they had to start on. Most still started on the ultra softs, but Ferrari split its strategy. It started Raikkonen with the ultra soft, which is the same tire both Mercedes cars started on. But Hamilton started on the soft, and the idea was that that would be able to run much longer, much more confidently, and maybe be able to pressure the Mercedes drivers at the end with new ultrasofts which should have been much faster uh, and more delicate uh, and he was able to do that a as we said when Raikkonen made Bottas pit and then able to apply some direct pressure to Hamilton but it seemed like Mercedes I mean we sort of criticized them over the last couple of races because they made some unusual strategy errors particularly in that triple header uh, of races in Austria of course they both retired but that was one situation where they sort of threw a win away but in this situation they really kept their head they pitted when they felt was appropriate lap 25 and then Hamilton I guess as he normally does seem to do on the harder tires showed this really strong pace it was almost immediately obvious notwithstanding the Bottas equation that um, Hamilton was probably going to be able to keep Sebastian Vettel behind him and I mean it was interesting at the start of the weekend Hamilton said in his, I mean of course in his head there's no question he's the best driver but it was really well managed from him this weekend in the slower car it was he seemed to be on a bit of a high from the from the last race he was he was in his sort of you never know what kind of Hamilton you're going to get on the weekend but he said we seem to have ham, happy, happy Hamilton <laughs> yeah. this weekend and um, yeah he seems supremely confident and uh, I, I guess he managed to make the, uh, the the ultra softs at the start last for a lot longer than he expected um, and then you know had had maybe longer than Ferrari would have hoped, uh, or sorry, shorter than Ferrari would have hoped, and so fresher tyres on the soft. Um, and he never really looked in any kind of trouble, did he? And that, and obviously having having the two Ferraris cooped up behind Bottas until however many laps it was from the end, I don't think his he seemed to basically cruise mm. to, to to an easy victory. He loves to say at the end of the race, "Why well, turn my engine down?" It was fine. It's 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 almost a d- default response, and he had the opportunity to do it again here. And I suppose that really shows how comfortable Mercedes ended up being. Uh, it's ironic because this was meant to be a, a damage limitation round for them, and they they not only did they get away with the win but well other than for Valtteri Bottas I feel like that's always the asterisk with this race other than Paul Valtteri uh it was the perfect scenario this was almost a race from the days that they were dominant in the sense that they seemed almost completely unchallenged yeah I think they landed on their feet though I mean I think you have to put luck a a large part of the equation the fact that it rained on the Saturday and they managed to to take advantage of that um and also the fact that you know they they were better on the the ultra soft tires than I think even they expected Mm -hmm. um plus the fact that Ferrari conspired to uh, maybe throw it away is a bit too strong but you know they didn't they didn't do themselves any favors um and Bottas aside from the end when he got a little bit larry <laughs> um did did, did a, an excellent job in well in being a wingman basically mm-hmm. and there was an opportunity here where the race was really decided we talk about qualifying being I suppose the the thing that set up all the the, the decisive strategies there was I suppose a, a 14 lap stint right in the middle that decided the whole race in many respects really other than 
Lewis Hamilton winning, I suppose, which seemed predetermined from the very beginning. But when Hamilton had stopped and Vettel had some clear air to himself in the lead, setting fast enough lap times, not quite to get ahead of Hamilton at the stops as we ultimately saw, and Hamilton was managing his pace there on new tyres in any case, but fast enough to stay ahead of Valtteri Bottas right up until about lap 35. That's when the gap peaked. Now, you need 21 seconds more or less to make an efficient pit stop here, and he had about 25, but then all of a sudden started encountering traffic. And I suppose you can say it's ironic that, you know, this is such a tight and twisty circuit that it's difficult to overtake here. It's exactly what won him the race last year, despite having, I think it was a broken steering arm or his car was turning left or something along those lines he was complaining about. Whereas this time around, being so slow to get around traffic, Valtteri Bottas was allowed to set some real fast laps. And everything was undone. And the pressure, I guess we could put down to the pressure, the fact that Ferrari made a pit stop strategy. It was too slow. Uh, And thereafter, the fact that he had really new soft tyres compared to Bottas's old ones still couldn't pass Bottas because the track is so difficult to pass around. No, indeed. It seemed like um, Ferrari were were trying to make that that first stint last as long as absolutely possible so so Fettel could be on the freshest possible ultra softs towards the end. But um, you know, in, in order to catch to catch Hamilton, but they, it looked like they just overcooked it, and then obviously the issue with the um, uh, with the traffic, and particularly science, who didn't seem to uh, endear himself to the Ferrari <laughs> team, um, plus the uh, the five second pit stop or however long it was. Um, really kind of messed all the plans up Mm. and you wonder whether there not should have been some more reflexiveness in this strategy I mean perhaps the tyres were really at the end of their life for Sebastian Vettel he got to lap 39 we know Bottas did I think it was more than 50 50 lap 50 it was 55 laps and obviously they were cooked by the end of that point but uh, maybe stopping slightly earlier Vettel even suggested stopping later it seemed like it almost is as though they'd predetermined that this is where they should have stopped and that inflexibility sort of cost them. Indeed. I mean, you could... Uh, hindsight is always a wonderful mm-hmm. thing in F1, isn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, you, you could argue that when they saw how well, not just Hamilton, but a lot of the a lot of the drivers were doing on the ultrasofts, that they that maybe they didn't need to worry so much about going so deep on the softs mm-hmm. um, and that you know he would have been able to 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 make them make the ultra soft last and and catch hamilton but um yeah they didn't they didn't make that call and and for the sake of probably i don't know five i mean how how close were they when they came out it was it was a couple of seconds yeah. maximum wasn't it yeah exactly and that is, that's all it took really and then um, Bottas did his, his trick that he did from the very start. He did it again of just, you know, slowing it up a little bit in the corners and just backing them up and, and just making his car wide enough mm. that they couldn't get past. Mm. A terrific wingman, really. You should embrace that. Maybe that's the secret to success for Valtteri Bottas. I think so. I like a wingman. I mean, we've all seen Top Gun. You know, he's <laughs> the Iceman. <laughs> maybe he hasn't. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe somebody should show him uh, and then maybe that'd be the solution to all of his problems there. Uh, thereafter, it was sort of decided, wasn't it? We knew that there wasn't really a way for Vettel to get past Bottas. I think even he knew. There were very, very few attempts, really, until the very end where Bottas's tyres really started to go bad. Uh, we got a hint of that that might be happening because Kimi Raikkonen stopped on lap 38, so he was always... I suppose destined to do a two-stop given he stopped so early but that would imply that Bottas should have also two-stopped it was ambitious I guess from Mercedes similar to in Silverstone wasn't it where behind that last safety car they left Bottas out and gave him a go of of winning the race if only he could make his tyres last but uh, I, I guess you can't necessarily blame Mercedes in that sense because it was 
ambitious. It's weird to say that leaving a driver out is the more aggressive strategy, but you know, had it not been for, I suppose, five laps, it was only a window of five laps that maybe Bottas could have actually finished second with an unlikely strategy like this. I mean, I suppose you get a, it all depends on what kind of uh, result they were hoping for. You know, mm-hmm. you could argue that that in terms of sort of pursuing. Hamilton and extending his lead as possible that that was the best decision for the team you know it's almost to, to, to sacrifice Bottas to an extent mm-hmm. um, and, and just make sure that Hamilton you know didn't have any issues um, but if you if they were hoping for a one-two then you know could they have could they have done something slightly different could they have waited a little bit longer when uh, when Raikkonen baited them in or did they have really no choice you know but to but to follow immediately um it's another great sort of, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Well, when when do we feel like these calls should be made, though? I mean, this is always... People hate to think of team orders as being something that's uh, predetermined. You know, maybe it's one thing in a race where strategies are different and, and that's okay. And we know this is a, a track where it's hard to pass. So by being behind Hamilton, Bottas sort of automatically cast himself in that role. But, you know, if we get to Spa and Bottas is looking punchy again, I mean, it's rare that he is in front of Hamilton. But if he were uh, in the vicinity being able to challenge Hamilton, and would we expect team orders to be called there, do you think? Would that ruin the spectacle a little bit, if not? Well, if there's one thing I know about F1 is that the fans will never be happy. <laughs> so whatever they do, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If it, it, you, you could argue that Hamilton now is on, what, 213 points to Bottas is 132. I mean, that's that's a big gap. And you'd have to say that, you know, even with one or two victories and Hamilton DNFing, Bottas is he's, he's not going to be a contender, really, is he? I mean, something massively dramatic would have to happen. So logic on one hand would dictate that you that you focus on, you know, the strongest and you do everything you can to maximize Hamilton's chance of winning the title for Mercedes because if you try and keep it even handed and we've seen this before in the past, if you try and keep it even handed and please everyone, uh you basically just neuter mm-hmm. the both of them and 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 Ferrari comes steaming through <laughs> and win. Which seems like it, it could be destined to do given that Ferrari has uh, such a fast car at this point and yet is usually so willing to, to call those team orders uh, we don't know what the future of Kimi Raikkonen is but surely more team orders are in his immediate future I'd have thought uh, that's how that race was decided the battle uh, for the win battle for the podium in the end Bottas's tyres went sour with about five laps to go so much so not only did he lose positions to both Ferraris but also to Daniel Ricciardo who'd run really long in his first stint 44 laps on the soft tyre uh, and recovered to finish fourth at the end when fifth was his target after of course Max Verstappen had retired otherwise it probably would have been sixth uh, we say this I feel like almost every week because there seems to be at least one front runner out of position but you know as much as fourth is still a, a very good result for someone who started from 12th due to qualifying right up until he had to pass Bottas there wasn't really much challenge on offer for Ricardo though was there no I was quite surprised about that actually when when he came in on uh, was it like 44 and he went on to the Ultrasoft, which was later than pretty much anyone, certainly in the in the, in the front runners. And you've got Raikkonen ahead on used softs. Mm. I was expecting Ricardo to close him down hand over fist, and he didn't. And I'm still not quite sure why. Mm. It's uh, I mean, I suppose he got knocked off the track by Bottas for one. Well, that certainly didn't help. Yeah, it, it was one of those things. That, you know, oh, it seemed like that great recovery would have been over, and Red Bull was destined to have the worst today on a track they should have had one of their best. But it's he did seem to struggle a little bit with the tyres I suppose in that sense because uh, Red Bull just seemed to have a bit of an off weekend but other than closing in on the top six where again Red Bull Racing doesn't seem to be as competitive as they think they are uh, it's just sort of slicing past everybody 
everybody. It was good. It was interesting. I think it was early on in the race as well where um, Sky Sports was talking to Christian Horner and straight off the bat he said, yeah, we expect to finish fifth. As if it's, you know, this great recovery we see every weekend has become so standard. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, think, I think they know that they're in not exactly a no man's land between the, the you know the midfield pack and the and the top two but they're they're not on the pace of ferrari and, and mercedes and and realistically on most weekends unless it's a track that particularly suits the the chassis and and an engine that doesn't fail I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure people will have uh, something to say about that then then i think realistically you know i don't think they can expect to come any higher on on a normal weekend mm, i think that's that's fair enough to say uh the reliable what track is the renault engine most likely to be reliable on though i'm sure is a question they're asking themselves as well but then on the other hand i suppose we could argue that you know renault is not experiencing this much unreliability itself for its works team and uh nor is mclaren they're just genuinely slow so i, I in some respects we have to sort of also blame red bull racing you'd think in this position or certainly that would be the renault position to take well yeah i, I don't know enough about it to, to be able to make a call on this because on the one hand Red Bull are obviously not very happy and they're, they're laying the blame squarely mm. at, um, at Renault um, and it was again quite funny to hear Christian Horner just basically saying you know I'll let Cyril Abitable explain what's going mm. on uh, he was making no bones about it but as you say it seems to be Red Bull that's having the bulk of these problems and I believe and I could be wrong that they are using slightly different components attached to the mm. to the engine than the other Renault teams because they didn't want it to compromise the shape of the uh, of the bodywork. So and and Renault are, are pointing at this and saying, well, you know, if you if you use the the equipment that we say you should mm-hmm. use, then you wouldn't be having these problems. So I'm sure this will run and run and lead to more bad blood, and it'll be thoroughly entertaining. <laughs> and then they'll just go to Honda, and we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I did like Cyril Bidwell said after the race that they've stopped listening to Christian Horner, oh, which maybe who knows? A bunch of children, honestly. <laughs> to think they're being paid so much to say, I'm oh, not talking to you. Exactly. These are these are these are you know serious professionals in major major yeah. multi million pound companies and they're basically going la 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 la. I'm not listening. <laughs> It's uh, really gotten that bad. I think they won championships together, and now this is the situation for them. It's very sad in some ways, but also quite funny. If Honda's in their future, Pierre Gasly gave them a little bit of a taste of it. He was actually possibly one of the most comprehensive performers of the race. He didn't have to pass anybody. Uh, He didn't even fall behind anybody's pit stop. Finished confidently uh, in sixth place. Uh, could have been higher, I suppose, had uh, Daniel Ricciardo struggled more, had Valtteri Bottas fallen back further. But he kept up at bay Kevin Magnussen for Haas. Now, Haas is sort of finally getting into its groove in the last couple of races, these last two months, I suppose. Uh, but And yet couldn't really close down this Toro Rosso car. Toro Rosso has been a little bit inconsistent so far this season, but this has been, I think, another strong result for, for Pierre Gasly in particular. Yeah, I, I think he did really well. I mean, he started in sixth. He momentarily dropped a, dropped a position. Uh, immediately got it back again and then as far as I can tell sat on his own yeah. uh, largely for the rest of the race but did a brilliant job to you know was obviously never going to keep up with the uh, with the big boys but managed to keep everybody else some way behind him don't think he had a huge amount to do apart from drive around as fast as he could while making sure he didn't fry his tyres um, and, and did a brilliant job and the two drivers I suppose in the midfield though one of them sadly did retire from the race in one of his best races of the year oh, that's only because a lot of his races haven't been that good we talk about McLaren uh, and of course Fernando Alonso and Stoffel van Dawn, who recovered really well. This was actually quite a strong race for McLaren, considering I feel like the last couple of weekends we've been laughing about how Fernando Alonso's angry on the team radio all the time, and you know, the engineers always seem to make the wrong decisions for them, but uh, long opening stints for them meant they avoided everybody else panically, uh, 
pitting in panic because they started on the ultra softs and trying to undercut each other this was actually a really strong race where they sort of rose above everybody else uh and managed to what should have scored been a, a double points finish had it not been for unfortunately a gearbox failure for stoffel vandor yeah no they they took a punt on a on a, a slightly left field um strategy compared to the others they went really long on the softs and i think alonso pitted on uh, lap 39 and then went on to the mediums to the end um and it seemed like the mclaren was working really well on the softs that it, it worked as it was intended i think they jumped a few places um and van dorn who if you look at the stats of how he's done against alonso this season has really not covered himself in glory at all was actually sort of basically sort of right behind alonso until yeah he had mechanical failure so it's a bit of a shame for him i'm not sure it's enough to save his drive for next year but um uh, you know, credit where it's due, um, but it's another it's another sad indictment of of McLaren that we're going. Oh, brilliant! You know, they managed P eight and didn't look terrible. You know, when you when you consider McLaren's history, you know, okay, it's not as outright terrible as they have been, but it's it's not brilliant, is it? And it was Alonso driving as well, who you know can can work wonders with 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 fairly ordinary machinery. I like that it is notable that McLaren's car worked as intended because it's true. How often do we get to say that about McLaren? I think it's a particularly useful phrase in this context. Yes, indeed. Uh, and they were still behind uh, you know, Toro Rosso with a Honda mm. And in truth, part of the, the the reason this strategy was able to work so well was because Esteban Ocon, Force India had a terrible qualifying in the rain. Uh, they started well back, uh, eliminated in Q1, uh, was doing essentially the same thing. And he'd risen up behind the two McLarens by the time most of the midfield pit uh but he was so slow he was so slow on those soft tires and it's so difficult to pass here as we know now that no one had a chance to really compete with McLaren so it's kind of two aspects to this there was a that McLaren was actually quite competitive on those tires somehow for whatever reason McLaren turned it on this weekend in particular uh but Ocon helped them out by accident probably I'm sure there was no uh, strategy there to ask him to help them out but it meant no one could get close Carlos Sainz was very unhappy about that Romain Grosjean only recovered late in the race to finish behind Sainz and take that last point but uh, McLaren was able to benefit from other cars strangely being slower than it was yeah and uh, you know you've got to take those kind of um, those bonuses when they arrive it was a pretty torrid weekend for Force India I mean obviously they're going through all sorts of uh, financial bother as well and hopefully there's some end in sight to that and who knows how they'll come out uh, on the other side of the summer break but uh, it's a weekend to forget on the track I think for them I mean they, they really couldn't get it together at any point really and they tried a similar uh, was a similar strategy to start with at least as, as McLaren in fact Ocon and, and Alonso pitted on the same lap on the on the softs and then Ocon went to the ultra soft but they, they just couldn't get anything to work and they were they were very slow so yeah one to write off for them I think yeah uh, talk about the that midfield battle becoming uh, closer well it's always been close this whole season really and especially now that Haas has picked up its game uh, this is the time you think for Force India to really start punching big they normally start to deliver at this point in the season and i yeah this i suppose is really a a bit of a write-off in that respect if their strategy is to build throughout the year yeah i hope that doesn't that doesn't sit with them through the uh through the summer break and that they you know on on ff1s we're we're big fans of force india because they're sort of plucky underdogs who never have any money and (laughs) but but have a couple of decent drivers and always seem to punch above their weight um so i hope they can they can sort of channel that spirit again and um, and get themselves sorted out. And finally, the final battle for points came down... Well, Brendan Hartley felt like he was entitled to one, but it came down, I suppose, to 
Hulkenberg, Hartley, and Grosjean. Uh, and we talk about at the start of the show that the ultrasoft tyres, all the tyres really, but particularly the ultrasoft tyres, seem to last longer in this race. That was Hartley's instinct, and he seems to be finally sort of getting to terms with how these Pirelli tyres are working. Uh, but he felt it was a mistake for his team to cover Nico Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg tried to undercut him on lap 23. He stopped on lap 24. But we saw Romain Grosjean, who, boy, has he had a season all to his own, last another five laps on those ultrasofts and jump both when he'd fallen behind both and score that last point, which is a bit of a shame for, for Hartley, I suppose. He's had such a, a difficult season so far. It would have been good to end it with a point after qualifying in Q3, I think, for the first time this season. But stolen by a driver who I suppose, to be fair, has also had a pretty bad start to the year and probably also wanted the point. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that that, uh, that Hartley, uh, if he didn't have bad luck, would have no luck <laughs> at all. Uh, and it did look like he was, you know, he was sort of having a more reasonable weekend, but it just didn't really seem to work out for him. Um, and the, the, as you say, the teams around him seem the, the 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 luck of the of the of the pit stop strategy seemed to uh, seem to favour them a lot more. And and poor old Brendan once again has been. Everyone's going to be talking about mm. Gasly, um, and I suspect they're not going to be talking too much about Hartley. And it's tough being Hartley at the moment. <laughs> I think he's. Um, uh, you know, barely, uh, at least this week I didn't hear any uh, rumours of any other driver that, that apparently Toro Rosso have tried to sign to to get him in. So you know, he's he he managed to go another race, but yeah, he's he's, he's sort of taking the Kvyat position of a, of a year or two mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I hope he keeps his. I like him. I hope he keeps his chin up. But yeah, he hasn't. <sighs> There's the saying that you make your own luck to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, and I think he needs to make more <laughs> if only it was that simple maybe we could write to him and tell him that uh, just just do better make some more luck mate. yeah I'm happy to sit down and give him a pep talk yeah maybe that's all he needs although his responses would be extremely long winded <laughs> uh, this feel like it feels like really in retrospect this race was one of nobody really knowing what they were doing no one seemed to have a great grasp on how the tyres were going to last everyone just sort of had a go but no one felt like they made the right decision except for I suppose Fernando Alonso who I'm sure would have claimed credit for his own strategy somehow uh, as being the greatest strategy ever to have been decided in Formula 1 as tends to be the way but I suppose in that way it sort of summed up the first half of the season didn't it we couldn't really figure out what was going on it was a little bit unpredictable some cars were faster than the ones we thought that should be fastest Uh, and the point scorers were all a little bit of a mixed bag it's sort of sets up the scene for the second half of the year it is and I, I'm, I'm quite enjoying the, uh, the the fact that you don't know what's going to happen but then it sort of goes against everything that you know that that that, that the diehard fans say whereas you know every, uh, you don't want any of these gimmicks of tyres that go off and tyres that are random mm. you know that are, are random compounds but um, it does seem to spice things up a bit and you know the rain in qualifying mix things up as well and I don't know what I want now. <laughs> well, Chase Carey, I hope you're listening. We want more of these tyres and definitely install some sprinklers on some more circuits. Yeah. I don't want any gimmicks, but I want all the benefits of gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the Hungarian Grand Prix. We've got a, a complete championship change into the break. Lewis Hamilton leads Sebastian Vettel pretty comfortably and Mercedes leads Ferrari, if only by 10 points. It sets up an interesting second half to the year, but the first half is done and dusted. It's been a pleasure to look back on it with you, Phil. And if people want to hear you between now and the mid-season break, uh, for Formula One's sake, they can go and grab a copy of that. They can indeed. It's, um, it's, it's a lot like this podcast, but with a lot less strategy more drinking more swearing fewer facts um, but uh, yeah please check us out we'd be delighted to have you uh, you can find out more uh, at ff1s.com I think I might introduce more drinking in the second half of the year it'd be fine for me anyway well you know what Bernie says about drinking <laughs> Phil it's been a pleasure to have you on this week thanks very much Michael
That was Phil Tromans from podcast for Formula One's sake. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode of the podcast by subscribing on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Aminato, and you can find me at Michael Aminato on Twitter. It's been a long first half of the season. Go home! Spend time with your loved ones and be productive again on Sundays, at least until the end of the month when we'll be back with a review of the Belgian Grand Prix.